0: Well, we are continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon of all time. And we are in a mini-series within that series where Jesus, he's talking about doing our religion. Those are my words. The words that Jesus uses is practicing your righteousness. And if you've been with us, whether online or in person, we've been looking for a few weeks right at the start of Matthew 6 where Jesus goes over these ways that, especially in his day, people practiced their religion. They did their religion, their their righteousness. And people in Jesus' day and even today uh, would give to the needy. They would pray, which is what we looked at last week, and we're going to look at it for a few weeks, and and they would fast. So those, again, were three very common ways of doing religion, practicing religion. And and so it sort of forms this mini-series, as I said here, within the Sermon on the Mount. Now, last week we talked about and saw the words of Jesus, uh, the wrong way to pray. You might remember we talked about uh, showy prayer, Jesus said, that's the wrong way to pray, or meaningless, repetitious prayer, that's also a wrong way to pray. And so Jesus corrected those those wrong ways. But as we're going to come to in a moment, he actually had a lot more positive things to say about how to pray. And we're going to listen to Jesus uh, here, teach on prayer. Remember, prayer at its simplest is just talking to God, right? At its simplest form, that's what prayer is. But let's be honest for a minute with ourselves, with, with God. Um, when it comes to prayer, most of us feel like failures. If, if I were to survey you and say, how many of you think you pray the way God wants you to or the way you want to? Maybe some of you do, but very few of us do we, we think we should pray more, we think we should pray more often, we, we struggle with maybe saying the same prayers. I've been thinking about that this week. How many of you, raise your hands with me, do you feel like I pray the same things? I'm, I'm just, I feel like it's always kind of the same thing, okay? A few of you, you can, you can feel that. Maybe, maybe you could relate to this. You know, this prayer thing is good in my life, I have it down, nothing new to learn here, Paul, it's cold, let's call it. I hope not, <laughs> I hope not. It is cold today compared to last Sunday. Can I get an amen? Yeah, Yeah, my goodness. All right, well, we'll manage. You're, You're brave and I appreciate it. Here's how one pastor put this struggle. Maybe you can relate. Is there any activity more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in the Christian's life than prayer? We know we should pray. We want to pray. At least we want to want to pray. We admire those who do pray. And we think of certain prayer warriors In our lives, and and maybe some of you are those people, and if you are, we look up to you. But if someone were to ask you right now, how's your prayer life? Very few of us would be happy with the question and confident with our answer. In fact, we'd rather say, let's talk about something easier, like politics. We wish we prayed more. We wish we prayed longer. We wish we prayed better. I bet none of us anticipate getting to the end of our lives and looking back and saying, you know what I regret? I just spent too much time in prayer, right? None of us think that way. It's a real struggle. It's a real tension. Well, this afternoon, we're going to hear Jesus speak encouragement into our lives and grace into our lives. Uh, Jesus is not the kind of savior, the kind of Lord to to simply say, come on, Christian, Pull your bootstraps and just get after it. Now, there is some should and ought and how to, but he's full of grace. He's full of encouragement. So let's let's let him teach us this afternoon. And I think if we do, it just might revitalize us and free us from having prayer be a struggle. Now, many of you know the the passage we're gonna look at. It's often called the Lord's Prayer. If your Bible is like mine, I'm gonna turn to Matthew chapter 6, and you could do that as well if you haven't already. I've got a heading just to the side of mine uh, over verses 5 through 13, 15 rather, and it says the Lord's Prayer. Now, what's interesting is um, it's called that because, of course, Jesus taught it. He gave it. So he's the Lord. He he gave this prayer. Uh, But really, I've, I've been thinking all week, this is the Christian's prayer. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your prayer. This is my prayer. So let's let Jesus teach us. Let's let him give us a model. And that's what this is. He didn't tell us uh, exactly what to pray. He didn't mean it just to be something we have memorized and just quote and we're done. And don't get me wrong, if you know this, and I think probably a lot of you do, that's good. But it's not just meant to be something to say and then you're, you're done with. It's, it's meant to teach us, to model for us how to pray. We're going to spend our time today looking at the first half. There's two halves to it. I'll talk about that in a second. And, and we're going to hopefully squeeze the good stuff, so to speak, out of that first half. And then next week, we'll return to the second half. And we're actually going to have a a service next week where we integrate the prayer into how we sing and what we sing and and what we do together. So fair warning, uh, lots of interaction next week beyond just singing songs. We're going to have some time throughout the service praying. So we'll get to the second half and all of that next week today, the first half. So again, if you have a Bible, Matthew 5, or excuse me, Matthew 6 And I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 15, and you can follow along. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let me say a few preliminary things uh, before we look at this model prayer, in the first half of that model prayer. uh, Four things, let me make sure, yeah, four, uh, four quick things here going in. Number one. There's two versions of those words, this, this model prayer in the Bible. This one, which is definitely the more familiar here in Matthew uh, chapter seven. And then there's one in Luke chapter 11. Now, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He spent most of his time up in the north of in, in Galilee, but he would travel around. And, and so he would use some of the same material, right? That's, there's nothing wrong with that. He had things he would teach and had things he would say. And Matthew 6 And Luke 11 are two different times in the three years of Jesus's public ministry. Here in Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is up in Galilee. He's got large crowds that he's called in, although he's talking to his disciples. Remember, that's not just the the 12. That's that probably in the low hundred layer of of people that are following him, that that call themselves uh, disciples uh, of Jesus, learners. He's speaking to to them and the crowds. In Luke 11, he's closer to uh, Jerusalem. And in fact, it's interesting. I was rereading it even this morning. It begins Luke 11 where the disciples come to him after seeing him pray. And they say, will you teach us to pray like John's disciples uh, asked him and like John taught uh, them? So in in that context, Jesus has asked. We need to pray. We wanna pray. Teach us. And Jesus gives Very similar form of this prayer. It's not exactly the same, but very similar. So again, that's worth just kind of knowing. Two different times he teaches this, Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Second preliminary point. In teaching this model prayer, we have to note that Jesus said nothing about how long to pray, and especially in Luke 11 when he's asked by them, he doesn't talk about, well, you should pray for 40 minutes in the morning and then at noontime, maybe another 15, you know. He doesn't talk about how long to pray. He doesn't talk about whether you should stand or kneel or sit. Uh, and you might recall last week we, we talked about, I mentioned actually just very quickly that in the Bible um, we have examples of people just laying prostrate, we have examples of people kneeling, we have examples of people sitting and standing. Uh, and so forth, all throughout the scriptures. Jesus doesn't address that. I also mentioned last week that, um, again, Jesus doesn't address the length of the time, but we do have examples where people prayed in the morning and at noon and in the evening, and there were some rhythms to their prayer lives, but Jesus doesn't address that, okay? Uh, Number three, in looking at this prayer, the Christian's prayer, as I'm calling it, we find it has two components, okay? And I already mentioned, today we're gonna do kind of the first Half the first section, and we'll get to most of the second section, uh, or most of unpacking next week. In the first section, there's three requests. In the second section, there's three requests. In the first section, the the focus is vertical. The focus is heavenward. You might say it's about God. It's about God and His glory. And in the second half, the second set of three requests, they're they're horizontal. They're about needs personally and relationally. And I love this about the Lord's Prayer. The the disciples' prayer, the Christians' prayer. Uh, It's like the Ten Commandments. Some of you know the Ten Commandments kind of are broken into two, what are often called tables. Table one, commandments one to four, deal with us and God directly. And then five through 10, deal with horizontal. We see this in the great commandment. Love God, love others. It seems like God and the Lord Jesus often wanted us to think vertically first and then horizontally. One writer and uh, speaker He likes to say it like this. He, speaking of God, he is worthy. I am needy. He is worthy. I am needy. And that should direct our prayers. He is worthy. I praise him. I adore him. I worship him. I deal with him. And then I get to my needs down here. We seek his face before we seek his hand. Not that we don't seek his hand, but we seek his face before we seek his hand the next and final point, preliminary point. This is not the only way to pray, okay? Jesus did give it as a model two times, and that's worth us locking in on. Wow, if Jesus gave it at least on two occasions, and if God, when he moved Matthew and Luke to record everything that happened and the things he wanted preserved for us, twice we get this model prayer. So, it's worth us going, God probably thinks this one's important in terms of being a model that needs to sink in. And that's kind of why we're, we're slowing in today and next week to spend time in it. But Jesus had a lot of other things to say about prayer. We're going to see later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus told us to ask, seek, knock, right? So he's going to talk more about prayer in, in, in those ways. Uh, I mentioned last week, again, he tells a parable where he he makes God almost look like this stingy, grumpy judge to illustrate that we are to keep asking and seeking and knocking. So this isn't the final word on prayer. It's not Jesus's final word, but it's a sure word. It comes from the Lord Jesus. Not the only word, but it's definitely something Jesus has. And again, he doesn't want us just to have it memorized. I bet a lot of you do have it memorized We've worked on it in our home with our kids too. It's good to know it, but it's not meant to just be, you know, said like some commercial jingle or something that, you know, you just over and over, you can just say it without thinking. Okay, we'll we'll lock into that in a moment. So those are four preliminaries. But now let's look at the first part of this model prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray. The first half of the Christian's prayer. And again, it's three petitions all centered on God's glory. As Jesus starts this prayer, this model prayer, he brings, I think, an astounding statement regarding who we are to address when we pray. So look down at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Again, right before he's addressed those wrong ways to pray, showy prayer, meaningless, repetitious prayer, he's corrected it. And then finally, verse 9, he says, pray then like this. And notice the first words, our Father in heaven. Before he even gets to the first request, the next words there in verse 9, right in the middle of, of our verse, our Father in heaven. Four words for us in English. That is really astounding. And let me just slow us down to hopefully grasp why it's astounding. Scholars note that in the Old Testament, right, in um, and, and, and the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the Bible that Jesus would have had and that he would have pulled from and all of that, um, the idea of God as Father, it's, it's there, but it's more there by way of an analogy. There's very little where, where Father occurs directly with respect to God as in people addressing God as Father. Again, we, we have some uh, analogies. One example would be Psalm 103, verse 13. The psalmist writes, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So it's speaking of God as father, but you don't hear the psalmist calling God father at that time. There's a few examples, but on the whole, it's not there until Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus on the scene begins to himself speak to the father as his father, and he tells his his sons and daughters, us, to address God as father. Uh, Don Carson uh, notes this. The overwhelming tendency in Jewish circles was to multiply titles ascribing the sovereignty and lordship and glory and grace to God. That's what you see mostly in, in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. And it's against that background that Jesus has this habit of addressing God as his own father and calling his disciples to do the same, and this would appear familiar and even presumptuous to jesus opponents, but it would be personal and gracious to his his followers now for us often we we only think of God as as father and buddy and right and and, and again don 't get me wrong, there is an immediate intimacy I mean right now you can start praying. Oh Lord, I just, I need to tell you about how angry I am at this person. And we can just like, you know, almost like on, on 1.5 speed, get into a conversation with God like he's our best buddy right next to us. And he is, <laughs> he's that. But but we, we can lean and tend maybe too informal, maybe too intimate, if you will. And that's why this, this is astounding because Jesus says, Pray like this, our Father, there's that intimacy in heaven. And and what Jesus is doing there is saying, when you start to pray, you're addressing at the same time someone who loves you and and cares for you. And in fact, Jesus probably was speaking Aramaic. Uh, That was kind of the common tongue. And so very probably he would have said, even though Matthew is gonna record later on in Greek, okay, the, the written language, but Jesus, if he's speaking Aramaic, he probably would have used the word Abba. And some of you know of this word. Sometimes we, we simplify it by saying that it just means daddy. Like when little kids run around, daddy, daddy. And it definitely can have that. But even uh, what, what scholars have told us is that adults in, in the time of Jesus would call their fathers Abba. Okay? I, I love my dad, but I don't call my dad daddy anymore. I don't remember when that stopped. But it's been a few years, so um, you get the tension there. So it's not only like a little child saying, Daddy, Daddy, it, it is, it's, it's Dad, it's intimate, he's, he's Father, but oh, he's in heaven, he's the sovereign, he, he's the transcendent, don't get lost in that word, transcendent just means a being beyond comprehension, And that's God. And we we could pause here and start to unpack his attributes. And that's what makes God, God. There's no one like him. What must he be like? As one of uh, my mentors and one of my wife's pastors in college used to say, what must he be like? On the one hand, he's father, intimate, warm, uh, authority, right? A father has authority in his kids' lives. Um, there's care, all of that, but he's he's transcendent. There's no one like him, and he's sovereign and creator and in charge. And and Jesus says that's that's how you pray. Here's the point. What's astounding is Jesus again isn't drilling in like you have to say those words. It's more for our sake that as we go to prayer, we we realize who who we're talking to. That it, that it shapes us. But again. God is gracious. And when you need him in that moment, you, you can launch in if you're a son or daughter, if you're a Christian, and just start talking to him. But oh, it's good every now and then, maybe more to be still before him. to, to just quiet ourselves and be aware that he's more than our buddy next to us. He's, he's God. He's God. It gets us in the right frame of mind, John Stott said. And that leads then to the first petition at the end of verse nine, having prayed our father in heaven. And here's petition or request number one, hallowed be your name. This first petition is a request for God's name to be hallowed. That simply means for God's name to be set apart as holy. A counterpart verse, you might say, to actually two from the Psalms, Psalm chapter 57, verses five and then 11 at the end. Many of you will know this. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. When the psalmist says that in Psalm 57, 5, and then again in verse 11, the psalmist is saying, hallowed be your name, to, to have your name be set apart as holy. And of course, God is holy. He is set apart. He's distinctively different. But this request, as one of my professors would describe it, is praying that God would be treated with the highest honor, and set apart in, in my life, if it's me praying it individually, in our life, if we're praying it collectively. If we together say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want his name to be set apart as holy. It is, but we want it to be experienced that way. One writer says it like this. To pray this is not to pray that God may become holy, but that he may be treated as holy. Now, here's, here's the pause again. Jesus gave this model prayer. So if it is that, and if we're gonna practice our religion, if we're gonna do our religion, and, and if we're gonna add maybe this prayer to our prayer time, and I'm gonna hope you do and encourage you to do that. When you start with this request, this petition, and you, you pray those words, hallowed be your name. Pause there and Restate that God in my life right now. May may I s- treat you as the, whole, the holy one you are. May may my understanding of you be such that you are set apart in the way I live, because that's who you are. And so you're you're letting this statement give words to to your prayers. You you say them yes, but 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 let them be be fleshed out. I think. That's what Jesus had in mind. Now, I'll mention uh, some of this here later, but um, from Augustine, long, long, long time ago, um, to uh, the the great reformers in the last five hundred years, and so many more um, Christians have have gone to this as again a way to pray, and they don't just quote it and say you should pray this, meaning memorize it and just you know be done ten seconds later, but each thing, unpack what it means and, and pray that way. So my question is, do you pray this way? Do I pray this way? Is there a place in our regular prayer time where we pray, God, may your name be set apart as holy in my life. As I start this day, if you're praying in the beginning, if, if you're in the middle of your day, if you're at the end wrapping things up, everywhere in between, is there a place where you ask that God's name would be such that it's treated, set apart as holy? Again, this isn't about a formula, but about us being in the right frame of mind. as we think about our Father in heaven. Holy is his name. May it be such in our life. Then Jesus gives a second request, a second petition that, we should pray, first part of verse ten, Your kingdom come when we pray that, when, when we take those words, God may your kingdom come we 're praying for the now and the not yet. Right? Yeah. we live right now in in this space where Jesus is the Lord and the King, and his kingdom has begun It began with his arrival and his preaching. And 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 he reigns right now in our lives individually. He reigns through his church. The kingdom is here in a sense with him ruling and reigning in heaven, but it's not yet because one day he's coming back. He will return. I've been singing, listening, not singing, listening to this song uh, recently. Um, it's an older song now, but um, the, the chorus says, we will feast in the house of Zion. And, um, been fun to talk with different ones of my kids about what is Zion? What does that mean? What is the house of Zion? And again, it's a reference pulling probably from Isaiah and other uh, prophetic writings about when the new heavens and new earth come down and and Jesus reigns and how we will reign and feast with Him one day. So, Your kingdom come. It's it's about now and and not yet. When we when we pray, Your kingdom come, we should be thinking about people in our life even though God is the only one who knows hearts, as far as we can tell, maybe they don't honor Jesus as king yet. In other words, they're not Christians yet. God, would your kingdom break into so-and-so's life? Draw them to yourself. May your kingdom come into their life. God, may your kingdom, your redemptive rule and reign, that's what it is, to, to speak of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is is about his rule and reign through the redemptive work of Jesus, what he's done through his life and death to purchase a people for God. So may your kingdom come now. May it be evident in my life, in my family, in my church. Draw these people. But oh, may your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. It's like the Maranatha prayer. Some of you know that. Again, probably uh, very likely an Aramaic word that was used and spoken. And so 1 Corinthians 16.22, right at the end there, the Apostle Paul says, Our Lord, come. And and it's an Aramaic phrase, Maranatha, which simply means, O Lord, come, come. Do you pray like that? Do I pray like that? Is there a time in my prayer rhythms where I'm asking that his kingdom would be present and real. Again, in your life individually, in our life as a church, in those people that need to be in the kingdom, God, save them, draw them, use me to to share the good news with them, for him to return. We need to pray this way, Jesus told us to. And then there's a third petition here. In this first half of the Christian's prayer, in Jesus' model prayer. The last part of verse 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One pastor that I heard years ago used to paraphrase this request like this. May up there, come down here. May up there, come down here. Because you know up there, God's will is done. May that, may what's true and what happens up there Come down here. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't think in this context, this is about discerning God's will. Like, should you buy this color car or that color car? Not to trivialize those kind of decisions, but I'm trying to pick something a little lighthearted because we do pray about things. We want God's will. I, I remember often, many times, God, should I go here? Big decision in the future. Should I go there? What What school? What town? I mean, and that's a valid thing to pray, to seek the will of God. I think here when Jesus says, pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he has in mind what we could call uh, his God's revealed will. And there's a lot in this book. That reveal his will to us. That phrase is used many times. Ephesians 5 17, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is about seeking God's will as as the scriptures reveal. May, May what you want done happen here on earth as it happens in heaven. Do you pray this way? You pray that, God, today in my life, may I be obedient to your moral will. And We need to pray that way. The 1 Thessalonians verse, let me just mention it. I, I know this one from memory, and I'm not doing an attaboy, Paul, with it, but it's one I remember as a young man learning and, and praying a lot. Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, this is the will of God for you. What is it, Paul, the apostle? Your sanctification, he says, that you abstain, that is, don't have anything to do with sexual sin, sexual immorality. If you want God's will for your life? There's one bullseye that the scripture says is God's will for your life. Do you pray, Father, your will be done on earth in my life as it relates to sexual issues, First Thessalonians 4, because that's what happens in heaven. In heaven, everything is done the way you want. May it happen in my life. Like, that's a prayer to pray. May your will be done in me. May your will be done in my church, in people I love. Do you pray like this? Do I pray like this? These first three petitions, they are prayers, Don Carson says, that we may act in such a way that we may pray in such a way that as his people, we hallow his name, we submit to his reign, and we do his will. But there's the Christian life, hallowing his name, setting his name apart as holy, submitting to his reign, his kingdom rule, and doing his will. I hope you can start to maybe imagine that this model prayer uh, again, I, I'm imagining in my life, it's the morning and it's quiet. I'm one of the first ones up and I've turned the heater on and I'm warming up and, and then I sit down or kneel down or whatever to pray or I go for a walk, whatever, and I just walk through these three petitions and I'm thinking about God, my father in heaven and, and hallowed be your name. And then I just have a conversation with God. He's spoken in His Word, and I'm responding. I'm praying back these these phrases. I'm and all of a sudden my mind is going, and I'm and I'm realizing yesterday maybe how I didn't hallow His name. I, I'm, I'm realizing to jump to that last one where, yeah, I didn't submit to His will in my life, and I confess and I repent, and I and I'm I'm praying this model prayer, but it's interactive. Is He reveals things to me. Do you see how that might be rich? A rich prayer. This Christian prayer, and specifically the first half, right? That's all we've looked at today. Is about God and his glory, about us getting in the right place. Now, next week, as I said, we'll get into the second half. There's real needs. Jesus says we should pray for our daily bread. That may seem weird to us. Probably all of us have bread in the fridge or on the counter at home. Maybe some of you need to go to the store, but like, okay, but, but we'll, there's a place for requests, what our needs are. We need to pray about forgiveness issues and relational tensions and all that. And we, we need to pray for him to deliver us and keep us from evil and the evil one and to lead us not into temptation. So we will, we will look at that next week. But oh, if we, if we just even today and this week focused on this first half where we seek his face first. Not that we don't seek his hand, but we get ourselves in a place where we want him to be the one we're, we're exalting and praising and glorifying. Then the requests will flow and will come. Again, he is worthy, I am needy. He is my all-sufficient, holy, and sovereign father, and I am his humble, weak and dependent child. And with these two realities, when they meet, prayer will transpire and it will revolutionize how we pray. Martin Luther uh, wrote a lot on prayer as, as did a lot of, again, the reformers and, and many throughout the history. His most famous writing on prayer isn't a big book. It's actually a letter that he wrote to a friend of his who also happened to be his barber, interestingly. Uh, his barber's name was a man uh, with the name Peter Beskendorf. And one day he asked Luther to help him pray. And I don't know if Luther said some things while getting his hair cut, but what he did do was return home and then write a letter. Uh, and this this is called um, A Simple Way to Pray. You could probably search it online. I have it in several volumes in my library. Um, But it is a fascinating uh, read. It's short and it's easy. And and Luther stresses a couple things. Um, One of them is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, He's also gonna tell his barber, you could use the 10 commandments. Let those words of God just cause you to, to pray, pray them, think about, you know, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, right? Again, that's, he is worthy. No other gods. Today, God, as I go about my days, I go about my week, school, work, neighbors, family, all of it, you are to be my God, my one and only savior. Help me with my idols. Like all of a sudden you can just be thinking about so much just as you listen. And so, so Luther mentions the. Ten Commandments, but he also mentions the Lord's Prayer as a model, as a way to to just be a guide through prayer. So let's take Luther's advice, but more importantly, let's take the Lord's. When asked in Luke 11 how to pray, and at another time in front of all these crowds, he said, pray like this. This week, church, I, I invite you, but I wanna nudge you with my fingers and your ribs to pray this way. Take, even if it's just what we looked at today, the first half, these first three petitions, use it in your prayer time for yourself, for others. The one who taught us to pray this model prayer who gave us what I'm calling the Christian's prayer, he himself was a man of prayer and he continues to be a man of prayer. There's, two in particular fascinating verses in the New Testament that speak of this. But let me read one, Romans 8, 34. Who is it to condemn, Paul the apostle asked rhetorically of us Christians? And then he supplies the answer. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is now, implied, at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That that blows my mind every time I think of it, that, that the Lord Jesus as the great high priest is interceding for us. And if he's praying for us, and if he was a man of prayer, and if he was asked and taught, pray this way, we should take him at his word. We should take him at his word. Let's pray now. In Jesus' name, We pray our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You are holy. There's no one like you, God. But may we treat your name as holy in our thoughts, in our words, even this evening in whatever interactions we have with what we do before we lay down and in the day, may We treat your name as holy. And we pray for your kingdom to come. We thank you that it's here now. We thank you, Jesus, that you do reign from heaven and you intercede for us. And we are your sons and daughters, kingdom citizens. May we be submitting to your rule in our life. And we pray for people that we love to be brought near to you for you to draw them, to save them. Use us to share the hope. May your kingdom come in their life and Jesus come quickly. Come. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And may your will be done. In Santa Rosa, Rona Park, Petaluma, Sebastopol, throughout this county, this state, this country, but... But here, tonight, in our lives, may your will be done as it is in heaven. May up there come down here. Teach us to pray. And I do ask, God, that as we go into this new week, that we would try to use this model in our prayers. And I I pray that it would revolutionize how we pray and bring life to our prayers. For your fame, for your renown, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all of us said...